Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Old Testament, we're working through it mostly a chapter at a time, um, and we're we're in uh, actually going to do Genesis 36 and 37. That's why I qualify mostly a chapter at a time. Some nights like this, I'll I'll, I'll get into why we're going to do two in uh, just a moment, but. Um, we're, you know, as we work through the Bible, we get context. We spent five years working through the New Testament. We're working through the Old Testament. Very um, good process for us to be working through the Bible this way together. Hopefully, you're learning a lot. I've said to you all along the journey, you know, Genesis, the things that I want you to remember. There's four main events and four main characters and one main threat. Um, and so by now, you should know them, although I took a week off last week, so let's make sure I still know them because now I'm winging it. But the four main events... Our creation and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel, all those things happen in the first 11 chapters. From there on, it's about four main characters beginning in chapter 12 and working forward. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And the main thread is something that we call the crimson thread of redemption that starts in Genesis 3.15. That's a verse you should know. And works its way through the entire Old Testament all the way through to the cross in the New Testament. So um, these are very important things to know as we study the process. Um, we have, uh, we've already looked at Abraham's life. We've looked at Isaac's life. Um, Jacob now is uh, still going to be around. Isaac has gone on. Uh, and, but now the story kind of really is going to shift over into Joseph. And what's happening with Joseph uh, in the years ahead. And Joseph really gets the bulk of the rest of the book. Because um, we'll be dealing with Joseph through the last chapter, chapter 50. So um, that's kind of where we're at. Now, Genesis 36, uh, it's a very long chapter. And it's, it's filled with lots of different names. But it's really, it's the end of the story as far now as Esau, Esau is concerned. And so Esau... Um, uh, his offspring are known as the Edomites, and um, uh, the reason that they're even listed there for us is they, uh, the descendants of Esau become huge enemies of Israel throughout their history, and, and also um, Esau's son Eliphaz is the father of Amalek, and you will also see about the Amalekites throughout the Old Testament as being another huge group of enemies of Israel. So um, kind of interesting that, that Jacob's descendants are bothered by Esau's descendants throughout history. And um, just, you know, as you saw the rift between Jacob and Esau and the birthright and the deceptions and everything that happened and they never really seem to work it out, that carries on through their descendants. And so Genesis 36 is really a, a sort of a chronology of um, the descendants of Esau. So you, if you read it, and I would encourage you to read it, at the end of it, it's very hard for me to sit here and do a 20-minute talk on it because it's all it really is. And so I felt like I would just explain to you what Genesis 36 is about, which I just did, and tell you that's the end of pretty much Esau. You're not going to hear from him again. His kids, his descendants are a, um, a thorn in Israel's side throughout history, and that's what's going on. But now as we move to Genesis 37... Um, it's, it's Esau's done and out of the picture and now we're back into the story of Jacob and Jacob's descendants and, and uh, in particular now we're going to be talking about Joseph but we're going to see God stick to his promises and the covenant promises going through the patriarchs and now it's going to happen through the descendants of Jacob um, and remember that God had said it was going to happen that way and sure enough it's happening that way and even though um, you know there was some Isaac sort of 
looked like he was going to go, you know, through, uh, he's going to try and force it through Esau. God wouldn't let that happen. So it doesn't. So let's look at Genesis 37. I'm going to read Genesis 37 to you, beginning in verse 1. And it says this. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever translation you have is fine. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now that is, uh, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you, you get that even though these families are extremely important in the promises that we're going to have, they were, this was a very dysfunctional family uh, still. It just kind of keeps tracking through generations. Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied, and so he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Nice group of brothers. Of course, you know, we'll talk about it too. Joseph, and he could have used a little restraint in the whole dream thing, but nonetheless. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. Let's make a little cash. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. 
Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the rope in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning will I go down to the, gra- to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, pretty interesting story. I think one of the, uh, uh, most of you probably know about some of this story, but um, I I think it's pretty interesting. So, Joseph is an interesting guy. Uh, 17 at this point in time. And um, you can, you might read some things into Joseph and I'm not sure how to exactly take Joseph. Either Joseph was a really arrogant teenager who hadn't figured out how to be quiet sometimes yet, which is extremely possible because, you know, teenagers... How many of you remember being a teenager? So uh, how many of you could get a little arrogant as a teenager? Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, and he had older... The siblings were quite a bit older than him, so they would have been, you know, sort of like parents. And, and like the family wasn't very functional. And so there was a lot of issues, you know, there was, because in this family there was, there was four moms and there was um, the kids, uh, you know, a dozen or so kids from this whole mix. And the father, um, God bless him, you know, had been very deceptive through most of his life. And so all those issues had sort of worked their way through the family. And now at this point in time, um, um, uh, Dan and... Um, uh, which the son of Bilhah and Naphtali was his son, and also um, the, the sons of Zilpah were Gad and Asher. And apparently Joseph was some sort of their apprentice to them, learning how to be a shepherd at the time. Um, but, but Joseph is, is destined for greater things. And it's funny how many of the, the, the guys in the scripture were shepherds who God used pretty mighty ways. Anyway, Joseph is one of them. But he, uh, Joseph... His brothers are obviously up to no good to the point where Joseph thinks he needs to go and report on them back to his father. Now, you know, so people, some people think, well, he's just like a big tattletale or whatever. But we find out that Joseph, what you find out about Joseph over time, and this is why I don't think he was just an arrogant teenager, he's got um, already common sense. He's, he's uh, and you'll see that throughout the, the story. So I think whatever it was, it was just so egregious that he felt like he needed to tell the father what was going on. Whatever it was, we don't know what it was. The other option would be that the son, the father maybe had an inkling that his sons were up to something they shouldn't have been and asked Joseph, at which point he would have had to tell them. Uh, he would have to tell his father rather than lie. But um, uh, I, I would rather go to Joseph having great integrity and character, which he demonstrates throughout his life that um, the issue was that either his father asked him or whatever the other brothers were into was so bad it needed to be um, reported. You know, sometimes um, sometimes loving someone well doesn't mean keeping stuff in darkness that should be dealt with in the light, okay? So anyway, um, he, uh, he tells on them about something and because of that, these brothers hate him among other things. And they, you see how many times it says they hated him? And then they hated him all the more? They did not care for Joseph even a little bit um, in this story. 
Jacob doesn't help it at all. Israel doesn't help this whole matter by, it makes it clear that Joseph is his favorite son. Um, you know, you just shouldn't make that clear as a parent. You know, you know, that they're, you know the standard line is they're all your favorite, and uh, as it should be. So, um, but, but Jacob didn't make any bones about it. Joseph was his favorite son, and, to, and so he'd made his son this really special coat, the coat of many colors, or however you know it, it's a nice coat that the other sons apparently didn't get, and Joseph had it. Uh, and you, so Jacob wasn't making Joseph's life a whole lot easier by, by putting it on him, so it gave them even more reason to hate him. And this coat, uh, uh, you, you know, it's, uh, it's a richly ornamented robe. So we get coat of many colors out of it because they weren't sure how to translate it. But this is, a, this is a robe that you can see a long way off, as you'll see later on in the story. They recognize Joseph a long way off because of this coat. Um, so, so we have that going on. It would have been uh, ankle length, long sleeves, uh, and it was a rich garment of a ruler is what it was, not of a, uh, what a shepherd would need out in the field. And so I, I, most likely Jacob was doing this because he already knew that the birthright was going to Joseph. The, remember the firstborn had blown it by, by sleeping with one of the wives and so he was out the other two, the next couple of guys had committed the murders uh, of all the, um, the group that had uh, gone after their sister so they were out and ultimately so Jacob had two wives, right? Leah and Rachel and he wanted one and was substituted the other well, Rachel was his favorite Joseph was the firstborn son to Rachel, and he ends up with the blessing. So I think in one way of looking at it is that that was the wife that he'd worked for, and in, in, in his eyes, that would have been the son that was, however you look at it, but he, he didn't necessarily go around it in the right way, at least from our way of looking back now. A lot of this stuff was just being caused because of, you know, some really bad decisions. So Reuben had forfeited his firstborn status because of his sin with Bilhah, and then Simeon uh, had been involved with Levi, who was the second um, in slaughtering all the men of Shechem. So that whole situation is going uh, on in the process. And, and so with all this going on, that, that's, that's why they, did, they hated Joseph. Father's favorite, gets the nice robe, he's getting the blessing. Uh, this just isn't working out. Um, Joseph then adds to it himself a little bit because he tells them these dreams. And uh, if there wasn't such animosity between the brothers, it would have been pretty good to know because these dreams come to pass. These are absolutely correct dreams. Um, and all of them will be doing that because of what happens and what takes place when Joseph goes to Egypt and he saves his family. And, and everything that happens in these dreams um, actually takes place. But they irritate the family even worse and... Um, because what Joseph is saying in those dreams is, I'm going to be a ruler over you. You're all going to be bowing down to me. Probably didn't go well to all of his older brothers. Imagine the younger brother with all the special things already and the nice coat and daddy's favorite saying, yeah, and eventually you're all going to be bowing down to me anyway. So uh, that's how that's going to be. And um, he even says it, you know, he says father and mother will also bow down to me. Jacob takes offense at that. The brothers reject it, but what does it say about Jacob? But he considers it. So he always thinks about it. He didn't like it, but he thinks about it. Part of that is, I think, because God had spoken to Jacob in dreams too. So he had an idea that it was a possibility uh, on, on this journey. That it was, and, and so I think Jacob kind of held it in effect that perhaps it was, could have been God um, speaking uh, to him. 
but, but maybe Joseph had been more diplomatic in sharing the dream. I don't know. It's a pretty good dream, right? So maybe he was just a little excited, but uh, the whole process was pretty big. The dreams, you know, I think of that. Um, dreams are pretty interesting. And, and some people wonder, does God still speak in dreams? Because in the Old Testament, he did it often. In the New Testament, not so often. And um, we, we know that, um, you know, God directed Joseph in a dream in the New Testament. But um, not a whole lot of other dream scenes, sequences in the New Testament. So you kind of wonder why. Um, but I would say this. I think that God still uses dreams. However... Um, now that we have the full word of God, everything needs to be weighed against the word of God. So it would never contradict that. So you always need to be aware of that fact and be careful because um, God's not the only one that can use dreams. So you can get some, I think, you could get some dreams from some bad places and you could get some dreams from eating pizza too late at night. <laughs> not that any of you have ever done that, but that will cause some pretty wild dreams and that they don't necessarily come from God. And sometimes we don't always know. So now we have the scripture. We always line up everything against scripture. But in the Old Testament, God would speak to his guys often in dreams. And so I, I think, you know, that's what definitely happening with Joseph. And we're not even sure that at that point in time, Joseph understood what the dreams meant. Because I'm sure that he didn't. Just that I'd had these dreams and they, they made a, a significant difference in the process. And pretty interesting because ultimately, Joseph, at some point, is going to be interpreting other people's dreams. So it's, it's all part of the training process, I think. Um, but, but we don't know that he knew what the dreams meant. Um, he's going to spend some time in prison after having done nothing wrong to think about them. And um, uh, ultimately, how you know, all this thing will work its way out over the process. So he shared the dreams with the brothers. They hated him even more. They envied him in their hearts and envy is a really bad thing to have going on and um and the envy ultimately leads to to violence um we're in verses 12 through 18 now uh so, so ultimately because of their envy they sell him to the merchants but remember the first thing they wanted to do was kill him and they were all on board except for reuben and we only think the reason reuben was didn't want to kill him was he didn't want to have to deal with his father because he was the oldest son he was going to catch it it was his responsibility to make sure the father's favorite was okay. That's why he says don't kill him. And he was probably going to sneak him out of there. But before he got a chance to sneak him out and take him back home, they sold him to merchants. Really not a good, nice thing, right? You would hope that your siblings wouldn't sell you, sell you to some people that are driving by. How much will you give us for this guy? So, but hopefully then you, you think about this too. I read this and you think, well, it's a pretty interesting question. Um, uh, Jacob knew that his sons hated Joseph. They, it wasn't a secret. Why did he send them out there all alone to go and visit these guys? And you, I often wonder about that. You think, well, why would that have happened? Uh, Jacob had plenty of servants. He could have sent a uh, trusted servant out there to see what was going on. And what you have to understand is that it's the providence, you know, it's God at work. God is making these circumstances. God is in, in ultimately going to use every one of these circumstances to get Joseph into the position he needs to be to in Egypt to save Israel so they can continue on. And so it's just the hand of God in it. And everything is taking place. And in the whole process you're going to watch unfold, 
God's in it. Even though Joseph goes through some very difficult things, God's directing him and keeping him in the process. Um, so as I said, you know, it took him a few days to get to his brothers on the way. They could see him from a long way off because of his coat. And um, here comes the dreamer, they said. It actually, it translated even better. Here comes the dream expert, which he actually, which he was, which he would be at the point in time. So uh, that's what's happening there. And then another deception. These kids know all about deception because they've grown up in a whole thing of deception. So quickly they come up with the idea, take the coat, kill something, put blood on it, take the coat to the dad and say, look, there's blood on it. We think maybe he got all torn up by something. And Jacob, who's pretty quick to jump to conclusions, goes, oh, there you go. He's dead. Goes into mourning and, and actually stays in mourning for the next 20 years. So he takes it very hard. And... Uh, um, And then at the very end, what we see is that um, uh, Joseph is in Egypt, which is where he needed to be. He's uh, going to end up in Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard, and a very important guy. Um, so he had a connection there. And then we'll watch what happens because it goes south from there, even though it's not Joseph's fault. Um, but it's going to go bad quickly. But God's going to use that in the process. But there you go. That's enough for tonight. Interesting chapter. The next few will be interesting. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. We'll see you soon. And um, God bless.